Welcome to the GB News Real Me podcast. I'm Gloria DiPiero. Now, we all have views on politics and politicians, but aside from the spin and the knockabout, who are they? What makes them tick? What's their life story? And why have they chosen a life in politics? That's what the Real Me podcast is all about. We hope you enjoy a very different type of political interview. My guest for this podcast is Matt Vickers, the Conservative MP for Stockton South since 2019. Matt grew up in Stockton before going on to become leader of its Conservative group on the council. Nigel Farage recently described him as the biggest rebel of the 2019 intake. The son of a builder and a hairdresser, I asked him, how does a working class like him go on to join the Tories? Politics is show business for ugly people, isn't it? And I was pretty crap at football. I couldn't sing. Uh, <laughs> You know, we can make a difference. We can make a difference to the world. Uh, and it, it's quite entertaining. It's good crack. Um, and you know what? I've, I've built up some of the natural skills that someone in our job needs. You need to be slightly competitive. I had three brothers. If you didn't eat fast, you didn't eat at all. Uh, and, and perseverance, you know, perseverance. And in fact, another skill I learned was about sorting out your posts. So I had three brothers and all of our first names begin with N. So we always get each other's posts. And that happens in the House of Commons now because we've got a Martin Vickers there as well. So, yeah. Uh, why not, is the question. Why not, working class lad from Stockton, eh? Did you ever think about the Labour Party? Um, no, I think in my early years, I sort of formed opinion about what it all was. And the reason I'm a Conservative is that I believe if people work hard and do the right thing, there should be some rewards. I believe in equal opportunities, giving everybody a good chance in life. You know, if you work hard, something's on your side, you're, you're going to get a result. Uh, equality of, of opportunity rather than equality of reward. Do you have a partner? Do you have children? I, well, it depends who's asking. Yeah. Um, I am young, well, not so young anymore, uh, free, single and ready to mingle. Uh, 38, 38, the grand old age of 38. I think, do you know what? At the moment, I'm married to my constituency. As you know, it's quite a, an all-encompassing all gig, this. It takes a lot of time. Uh, and I think some of my colleagues have a really tough gig. They've got to, you know, I've seen the challenge for relationships, the challenge for families and making the decision on the, on the Friday night as to whether you're going to the, the kids' pantomime or whether you're going to do that constituency fundraising event. I think it's a real challenge. So at the moment, I'm very happy. I'm keeping very busy. If the right person comes along, who knows? Uh, I'm, I might give that a Tinder thing a go like Michael Gove, but we'll see. Really? Are you on, seriously, have you thought about doing the dating apps? I haven't. I don't know how well it go down in the patch. You never quite know what you're going to get, as Michael learned. But we'll see. We'll see where I come out. Not lonely? No, I have a cracking group of friends in Parliament and back home. The friends in Parliament share all the challenges that we have as MPs. The friends back at home in the pub bring me back down to earth and make sure I'm well aware of what's going on on the streets of Stockton. So, no, I'm very happy. I'm very happy. And I've got shares in this dog, which is always cool. <laughs> got shares in Good a dog. Company. <laughs> <laughs> Karen. Karen. The dog is called. Karen. So, my best mate uh, lives in the same block of flats as me now. He's a Geordie, but he's, he's also come down to London. Him and his girlfriend, Mia, have this fantastic Pomeranian Chihuahua, Pomiwawa, no less. Uh, very passionate little dog. She's a sassy little bitch she's 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 top form she's a real character uh, and you could never be lonely when karen when karen is around do you think she's award-winning I, th I think hopefully she's going to be award-winning so we've entered this big competition as you know westminster dog of the year 
Um, there was a there was a prerequisite on the application form that said it should be a well-behaved dog around people and other dogs. Um, we're hoping she's going to perform okay on the day, uh, but if not, she's going to make up for it in, in sassiness and, and cuteness, and we're going to win him over, hopefully. You have had proper jobs. You worked, you've worked in retail before, during, and after university. Just tell us a little bit about the, the stores you've worked in. So I loved working in retail. The thing about retail is it's always like this, this job, isn't it? You, you sell things instead of ideas. Um, you get to meet all sorts of people. And the same way that when we knock doors, uh, before you start knocking doors, you think there's gonna be average people or normal people behind the door. There are so many characters out there, so many amazing people. Uh, in this job, I had the pleasure of meeting them. And in that job, I also had the pleasure of not knowing who was gonna walk through the door next. Uh, I remember actually, we I did, a, I did a bit of a job at Big W and it was about Big picking. W. Big W was the Kingfisher all under one roof. It was a big Woolworths. Right. Uh, it had lines from all the Kingfisher group. Um, and I remember it was about, there's a home for everything. So you know what you want to buy and you think, who would ever buy that? Uh, and I remember we used to get these promotional items in. So my job was the promotions gig, uh, looking at what items we're going to sell and which ones we're going to sell the fastest. And you got to talk to the, the buyer direct. Um, this was while I was at uni. And I remember one day putting these things out and they were god awful. It was these like crystal uh, vasy things that you put pot poo in. I was like, who the hell's going to buy that? Uh, and I remember going out that day, I was like, this is going to be a tough gig, lads, but we've got to shift these. Um, I remember getting home that night and my mum had bought one. I was like, there's a home for everything. Everybody wants something different. And as a retailer, you get to see that firsthand. You get to see people's aspirations, what they want to buy, what's valuable to them. Uh, and I loved it. There's lots of campaigns, though, um, about shop workers being abused, treated with disrespect. Did you ever encounter or witness the, the, the tough side of retail? I think you saw it every day. But you know what? We never saw it then like the people who see it now are seeing it. I saw the gritty side of it when I was there. But now it's worse than ever. There are 455 assaults on shop workers, not every month, not every week, every single day. Uh, that's just horrendous. Because the people who work in shops, they are the student who's got the first job, or the, the retiree who's just topping up their pension so they can have that holiday this year, or they can buy the grandkids something nice for Christmas. And that makes it even worse. You know, they're ordinary men and women earning a living. They're not getting paid a great deal. Uh, they're out there on the front line. They don't get assaulted because they were... Someone once said to me, why Why should there be anything special about shop workers? Um, well, actually, they don't get assaulted because they have a Tesco uniform or an M&S uniform on. They get assaulted because they're upholding the rules. You know, it's a statutory duty. They're checking somebody's the right age. They're verifying their ID to make sure that they don't buy booze or they don't buy knives or that they wear a mask during the pandemic. Uh, and for all those reasons, therefore, I felt we should have a different, you know, there should be something different about those people who assault shop workers. Who assault. We make a distinction between emergency service workers. Rightly, in my opinion, the government is saying if you assault an emergency service worker, we're going to be tougher on you. There's going to be a bigger maximum sentence. And I think we should do something along those lines, differentiate those people who don't get paid anything special. They don't get a body-worn camera or protective clothing. We send them out on the front line to uphold the rules. What do you think should happen if you... So I think we should look at something different. I think we should have tougher sentences for them. People um, who abuse or attack People who abuse workers. or assault shop workers. We, sh we should be in there. We should be a bit tougher. Uh, and we should, we should send that signal out there. Often when people get assaulted in retail settings or someone steals in a retail setting, the police sometimes aren't as, as hot on it because it happens so regularly. But we cannot allow our shops to become like the Wild West. You know, we've got to stamp down on it, clamp on it, respond to it. Um, yeah. You pointed out there that shop workers aren't paid anything special. Do you think campaigns are paid enough? 
I think I think they are, if I'm honest. Um, I've heard the, the the controversy this week. You know what? I don't think anybody who does this job, or the people who do this job for the right reasons, I don't, I don't think anybody comes into it for the money. Um, I realise it's it's you know it's a big gig. You spend a lot of man hours doing it. But I think we do get paid enough, if I'm honest. Um, and when you see some of the amazing things that our key workers out there do, whether that be the people who work in the hospital, in fact, the social workers who don't get paid a lot, the social care workers who don't get paid a lot, the people on the shop front. Um, I think that's part of what we're seeing at the moment. We're seeing the realignment of the value of jobs and making sure people like HGV drivers get decent pay for the work that they do. So you've definitely had normal jobs. We're giving you that. Yeah. You you, you had a couple of um, political jobs, but but not sort of long terms. You weren't like a big special advisor or those sort of roles. But tell me about your role for William Hague first. So, so the thing is, when I was younger, uh, lots of people around me, their heroes were the likes of Ryan Giggs and David Beckham. Uh, my hero was a middle-aged man, bald middle-aged man, who wanted to keep the pound. He had a very distinctive accent. Uh, Haig was a hero of mine. I thought it was fantastic. He believed in all the things that I believed in. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, and I remember applying for a job working as his agent in the constituency, which isn't that far from, from, from home for me. Uh, I applied probably just out of interest to see what it was all about um, and to, to get to meet the chap. Anyway, I got the gig and was there for quite a while. Loved it. He is, he's amazing. He's still a hero. He's amazing. He's a character. Uh, everything that you see pre-scripted on television about him that's funny, everything that you believe, it's real, it's genuine. And he's a really entertaining character. Tell us something we don't know about William Hague. <laughs> you, got, you can't blame me for asking. That's a good question. Is there anything that, we, that, that, you would, that would surprise us about William Hague that you will have seen up close and personal with him? I think probably just that he's the, you know, he's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, he's, he's, he's every bit as entertaining in real life as he is on the television. Everybody assumes that these characters of, of Parliament are, are, are just that. Actually, he's just a really entertaining human being who's genuine. Um, yeah. Okay. OK. Rishi Sunak. You had a bit of experience with Rishi Sunak as well. Tell us, tell us about that experience. So when, when William left, we then had to select William's predecessor. Um, and I remember at the time, it was quite, uh, you know, everybody talked about, oh, how are we ever going to find another William? Because he is a star. How are we ever going to find another William? Um, and the debate went on. Pff, these people come in for interview and everybody's thinking there's, there's not one there. Where is he? He's not, he's not there. Who, who are we going to replace him with? Uh, Rishi, though, we found him and he, he was shining like a star from the beginning. He's, he's just got it, hasn't he? He's got that energy. Uh, he's got that empathy. He understands people. Fantastic guy. Uh, and I think he's... he's well, we were saying he was one for the future. Just a few years ago, in 2015, when we selected him, here he is. He's made it big. It was never in any doubt. I'm going to ask you the same question, because we don't know Rishi Sunak that well. We know William Hague a bit better. We've seen him more of him on the, on the television. But, but Rishi, we know less about. Anything that, anything um, that you can tell us about, about Rishi that we might not know? Something that surprises people who've, who've never met him in person. Small. Is, is, <laughs> that is exactly what I was going to say. He's pretty short, isn't he? Uh, he's not a very tall guy, but he makes up for it in character and, you know, gravitas. Uh, but, yeah, he's pretty short. And he's, got, he's, got, he's a big fan of chocolate chip cookies. Maryland cookies all the way. Maryland. Not yeah. even the posh stuff. Not even the just posh stuff. Just a no. Maryland. Regular guy. <laughs> Cookie muncher. You 29 red wall at Tory MPs. You're very difficult for the whips. You're rebelling all over the place. What's wrong with you? What's, uh, where's the discipline? I, you know what, my crowd of 2019 intakers, I think we've got, we've got like a crowd we call it the 109, but there's only 107, there was some mistake made at the beginning. But they're a fantastic crowd. We've got, we've got regional accents in there now that were never there when you were in there. You hear all dodgy accents like mine, 
real people from all sorts of backgrounds, and I think that's fantastic for the players. The problem for the Whips is that that means people come in with all sorts of opinions and viewpoints and perspectives. Um, few rebels, yeah, but I think generally we get the job done. And you know what? We were elected to represent people, not to represent parties. So I think we're doing a cracking job. You've, you've, you've rebelled a few times. Yeah. Let's not get too carried away, but it is, it is a few, and that's, that's yeah. significant um, in the couple of years that you've been MP. How do you apologise to the whips the next day, or do you not, or do you sort of avoid them? Or how do you deal with the fact that you know they're really cross with you? Someone branded me back home as Teesside's most rebellious MP. I haven't actually rebelled that much, um, but actually I think the whips understand. They understand that we represent communities, and our job is to go in there and represent those communities. We had the, the debate about the 10pm curfew. To me, I looked at the impact on local businesses, uh, fantastic local businesses at the heart of the community, all these hospitality businesses and restauranters and yeah, you know, and, and I looked at the difference it was making to them, this 10 p.m. curfew, the fact they could only get one seat and we'd already make them take half the seats out of their restaurant or their pub. Uh, it made no sense. And from a public health perspective, we saw the scenes of people kicked out of the pub in London. But actually, when you went back home, they weren't getting kicked out of the pub and hanging around the street. We were going down to the off-licence and getting a lot of tinnies and going to whoever's house was nearest. So it made no sense. And then we did the retail workers thing, which I was just, it was a no-brainer to me. I just thought it was the right thing to do. Um, and the next day, I think it's actually what you do the day before that matters to the whips. If you ring them up and you're honest with them and you say, this is it, guys, I disagree with you. They can have all the arguments with you. It's a good thing sometimes. They can bring you facts you might never have known, uh, bring you information you might not have been aware of to try to shape your opinion. Uh, so I think it's healthy, but you tell them in advance and then you don't get too much stick the day after. You get it the day before. <laughs> so sometimes I read in the papers that whips say, well, if you do this, then your constituency ain't getting any money. How tough is the, um, the arm twisting? I think it's pretty tough, uh, but I wouldn't want to quote any examples or, or grass anybody up. But I think it is probably pretty tough uh, and you, you've, got to have, you know, you've got to be pretty ballsy and hold out. But if you know you're doing the right thing, then you don't mind how tough it gets. You know, if you're sure of your opinion, then you're going to rock on with it anyway. And that's kind of where I've got to on those occasions. The, a lot of the 2019 um, Tory MPs, and you refer to it, lots of regional accents, lots of people from ordinary backgrounds like you. Do we need more working class MPs? Do you know what? I think, I think we do. I think it's a really good thing. But actually, I think we've got a good share of them this time. When you look at some of those characters on the benches, uh, and I remember you'd watch, you'd watch Parliament TV or whatever, you'd see Prime Minister's questions and they all talk in a certain way and they all went to certain sorts of schools. No one, actually, it's not like that anymore, is it? You can see it now within minutes of putting on the television and watching what's going on in there. Real people from all sorts of backgrounds. Uh, and I think it's not, it's not just about getting more working class, but it's about having that diversity. We talk about diversity in terms of ethnicity, we talk about diversity in terms of gender, and we should be talking about diversity in terms of class as well. Are people from backgrounds like yours the future of the Tory party, because actually the cabinet is quite different to, in the main, I'm generalising, but the cabinet is quite different from the demographic profile of those 2019 Red Wall MPs. Right, well, give us a few weeks or a few months, we're sorting it out. No, I think, I think in real terms, um, there's definitely a place for us in there. I think the Conservative Party has always represented people like me. It's just that sometimes we, you know, in my part of the world, we're represented by Labour forever. And people voted that way because their parents voted that way. And we needed a few surprises like Brexit that made people reevaluate what these parties stood for, what they were delivering. Um, and actually what the party's delivering at the moment, what this government's delivering is completely in tune with communities like mine. Whether that be putting more cops on the streets, 
that levelling up agenda of pouring money into the, the forgotten oh, areas. Oh, stop it. This is not the part of political broadcast because you... Do... It most definitely <laughs> because, should be. Because then I'm going to go, but actually, no, same number of police because <laughs> <laughs> you cut 10,000 police in the, in the coalition because that's when I was an MP. So let's not do the party election broadcast because this is about you and, 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 and finding out about you. But, you know, well done for having a go. But I'm go <laughs> I have to pull you up on it when you do. Um, do you ever think... Seats, those red wall seats that swung so violently, they can swing violently back again. Do you, does it keep you awake? You clearly love your job. Like, how, what's going to happen at the next election? I think, do you know what? I think if you get into this job and all you're worried about is whether you're getting back, then you've made a mistake because you are going to, you're never going to sleep again. Um, I think we get here, we have a massive opportunity, massive privilege and honour. Uh, and the more you hear these polls, the more I think, you know what, if it's gone in a while, I know that I can look myself in the mirror in a few years' time and think I did the right thing. But I think you're right. I think seats that swung with us can instantly swing against us. I think, you know, more importantly, these seats that had never gone blue before, next time people are going to take a look at us and they're going to make a decision. But it's going to be an informed decision. They're going to look at those policies. They're going to look at what they've got in the backyard from this government and they're going to make a real decision. They're not going to just blindly vote like sheep for one party or the other. I think that's a really good thing for democracy and a really good thing for the country. Right, well, I did try and get you to tell me something about William Hague and Rishi Sunak. We didn't get that far on William Hague. We know that Rishi Sunak likes uh, Maryland cookies, choc chip. Um, so I'm going to ask you, tell me something we don't know about you. A guilty pleasure, a celebrity crush or your party piece. Take your pick. Oh, crikey. God, this is a, <laughs> this is a free me on this one. I've um, just written it now. Something special not... about, something different about me that nobody would know. Um, I can't sing um, <laughs> very well, but I try. I make up for it with trying, you know. I can't dance either, but I have a good go. Um, I don't really have a party trick. I don't really have a party trick either. And, and you're obviously feeling comfortable by asking you if you've got celebrity crushes. <laughs> Just giving you another opportunity, but I don't think I'm going to get one out of you. What, what you do you have any flaws? You're flaws. very incredibly well, cheerful. One of my big flaws recently has been this Palmer campaign. Have we heard about the Palmer campaign? Oh, go on, tell me about so, it. Basically, if you, if, you read, if you read Twitter, I've got absolutely garbage done it from all these weird lefties um, I've been running campaigns so we've run lots of campaigns and you don't want the party weird. piece you don't want the party piece about how much money we've delivered to the patch whether that be 16 million for the high street or the 25 million for town, Thornaby Town deal or the new train station you don't want all that party rubbish but what I did do we wrote yeah. 311 letters that week and one of the letters I wrote was to the head of catering at the House of Commons to ask him to introduce the Parmo to the menu in the House of Commons the Parmo um, which is a regional delicacy uh, it's, it's about 2,000 calories uh, of, of beauty, of, of divine cuisine. Absolutely fabulous. Anyway, goes in. What is it? Lefties kicked off. Oh, it's, it's, it's chicken, yeah. vegetable sauce, cheese. It's like it's like a chicken-based pizza. It's naughty. But without a bit, is there a base? Is there a bread base? The chicken? No, no, the chicken's chicken the, is the base. Yeah, yeah, it's naughty. It's very it's, naughty. It sounds brilliant. Oh, it is. Chicken parmo. It is. You need to get yourself... In fact, what are you doing on the 20th of October? Come on down. Am I eating chicken parma? Come on, you're coming into Parliament because it's now on the menu. I've succeeded. I've succeeded. That is brilliant. Yeah. But the left went mental on Twitter. We had the Labour... I can't from... believe... I, I, I'm not buying this. The left went mental because... <laughs> crackers, whatever you said. Um, because you wanted to introduce Apparently I should Palmer. have more important things to do. Oh. It takes two minutes to write a letter. But all these guys... Twitter is the most bizarre thing, isn't it? It's just bizarre. We end up with Labour activists. They all have the little red rules. Or they have the FBP. Do you know what FBP stands for? They don't like me. Well, I, I, thought, I, thought, I, thought, I thought it was like 
Facebook, <laughs> Facebook Palmer, excuse me, wasn't. They're the follow-back pro-European. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, people who had these initials after them, from, from Dorset to, to Doncaster, all went on my Twitter to tell me how terrible an MP I was for writing a letter. Um, but yeah, different world. Do you know what? That's genuinely a, a result, a source of pride, and you should be proud. Because if you get something from your part of the world in that for sale in House of Commons, just like some constituency MPs get the local bitters sold in the bars. We're working on that one as well, yeah. We're working on that one. I think well done to you, 20th October. The chicken parmel sounds brilliant. We'll see you there. Matt Vickers, you've been um, very, very entertaining and happy. Even you though you want to tell... You've got to be positive in this life. <laughs> even though you want to tell me what you slept your crushes. <laughs> Next <laughs> time. who you slept your crushes. Thank you. It's Thank been you. fun. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the GB News Real Me podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And you can join me every Monday to Thursday from midday live on GB News for The Briefing, your hour-long dose of political analysis. Thank you.